Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Dirty Drinks. How are you, Rick? I am doing well. It seems like maybe spring is finally here. I think it is. I see flowers outside and the sun is shining. Wish it was a little warmer though. Yeah, the fog was crazy this morning. I don't know if you had it over where you were. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yes, very crazy. My kids um, had a two-hour late start this morning. Are you serious? Yep. Oh, really? Yep. Wow. So, apparently it was bad enough that buses couldn't drive in it. Ah. I, think my mem- yeah. I think my memo got lost on my two hour late start just to <laughs> let you know on that right when yeah. we have to adult the two hour late start does not apply to us right <laughs> oh, gosh it's just tragic sounds like we have a third voice with us today we do we're super excited to have Morgan Schrader from the Nebraska biocontainment unit on with us today awesome well, welcome thanks. Morgan Thank you guys for having me. I'm still on the the two hour late start for adults that should that should have occurred this morning. So that's awesome. I would, I would prefer that every morning. Starting <laughs> like ten would be fine with me. Okay, great. Ten a.m. start and a conclusion at two. Was that what I heard? That's well, the that recommendation. Be, that would that would be all right, right too. Um, but uh, <laughs> I could do ten to ten to six would be fine with me. All right, fair. Yeah, I'm not an, an early morning person either. I, think I would rather work later in the day, but uh, such is life, right? Only in the instances that you need to board a flight at 3 a.m., Sarah, are you going to be up at 3 a.m. to get onto that flight to Mexico, it's true. right? And uh, I will do everything in my power to not schedule a flight at 3 a.m. <laughs> Fair. It's the only way to get anywhere by noon, though. <laughs> that is true, because then you don't waste a whole day wherever you're going. You could like exactly. you know, get yeah, head to the head to the beach or whatever. Whatever you've you're got paying up. for that yeah. night anyway, so you might as well use some of the time there. I agree. No I point agree. in arriving at 11 p.m. to pay for the night. Well, I guess my trips are a little bit different. I I start working at 11 p.m. on my trips. We like the dark, so that's true. I go to haunted Sheesh. houses. She just spent a night, a couple nights in a haunted TB hospital in Louisville. Oh, wow. Serious. That, how was that experience? It was amazing. I loved it. So I'm assuming you've done all the haunted houses in Iowa that I hear about. Yes. Okay. I like it. Have you hung out in the old ORs around Nebraska Medicine? I have not. I haven't had the opportunity to get into those yet maybe a point of consideration when the pulse ox turns on in the middle of the night and there's nobody in there yeah if you guys can get me in to like spend the night <laughs> i would be there in a heartbeat as soon as that pulse ox comes on i'm leaving by the way so. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so uh we'll let morgan tell us a little bit about herself well um My name is Morgan, as Sarah kindly introduced. I've been at Nebraska Medicine for about 20 years. I think I'm on 21 years, actually. Uh, My background is in the operating room. So I've been an operating room nurse for almost uh, a decade and actually longer than a decade and a half. Um, And a member of the biocontainment team where I got to hang out with uh, Dr. Starlin and team uh, since 2009. So had the privilege and honor of caring for all of our individuals here from the Ebola of 2014-2015 to COVID response in 2019 through or 2020 actually through current day so uh, get to work with an amazing group of of teams of of individuals here at Nebraska Medicine and UNMC. Awesome thanks for being on with us. I thank you for having me. Yeah, so you started out in the ORs. Was that right out of nursing school? It did. I did a little stint of mental health, and then I went into the operating room, um, you know, and, and have been an OR nurse uh, for, for a long time here at UNMC. It was my, the old University Tower ORs down on floor one. In the, it was where I started with, uh, always loved the OR when I was in nursing school, always. 
were you in just the general OR? Was there anything in particular that you did like cardiovascular or transplant or anything? Right. So coming from the old university where we were almost a jack of all trades, masters of none is kind of the running joke. Uh, we really didn't have, <laughs> we really didn't have specific pods at the time when I started, you know, they moved towards pod um, care delivery model. And I think it works, ex you know, excellent. So if I had to say, pick my pod delivery, it was general vascular transplant. But because of the, the way of which I, I could say I was raised in my OR profession, you know, could we, could we step out of that specific pod to do other things? Yes, absolutely. Just because of, of the way that we, you know, we were kind of brought up and in, in the care delivery model that we had back in the early 2000s when I started. So, yeah. How'd you end up doing nursing and in the OR? Is it something you always knew you wanted to do or did something kind of click and you're like, this is what I'm doing? Right. So nursing school, I thought I would always do peds. I wanted to be a peds nurse, you know, I, I work at children's, I thought is what I wanted to do up until I did my rotation at children's. And, and then I was like, this isn't for me. Um, you know, those kids are amazing. And the team there is amazing. It's nothing against them, but it just wasn't where my heart was drawn. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to the OR. I can't remember what year I was in school. And it was a radical prostatectomy, actually, an old open case done uh, you know, at, in a hospital and watching the dynamics and the way that that team functioned in, in the OR, I was like, this is my home. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, and so applied for a couple of OR positions straight out of nursing school after I did some mental health when I was waiting for my boards to be passed and uh, been in the OR ever since. So, you know, it's, it's up until biocontainment. How about that? Up until full-time biocontainment. So. Very cool. Where did you go to nursing school at? College of St. Mary. So uh, I got my associate's degree from College of St. Mary and then finished off with my uh, bachelor's degree at College of St. Mary. Currently in school now. I've got three classes left with my master's degree in public health at UNMC. Yay, so that's awesome. I know. Congratulations. We're getting there. Okay, three classes in a capstone. Let's just be real. So I was going to ask you what you do in your capstone on. You know, I think I'd like to actually focus my capstone on safety cultures in biocontainment units. So, you know, how do you create and deploy and educate and train based off of a safety culture uh, for biocontainment? So super, oh, uh, that's been interesting. Something you may know a thing or two about. Right. Well, because we train to it, you know, the candid <laughs> conversations we have when we're delivering care because we want to make sure everybody's safe and being able to call you you know, by your first name, Dr. Starlin is important in, you know, high stress situations. So people feel like we're all in the same playing field. So I think it's, I think it's really critical that we identify what a culture looks like for biocontainment units as we have regional treatment centers across the United States and, you know, and internationally, there's an opportunity there to collaborate and devise something um, unique or pick things that are well known across, you know, healthcare systems and identify what makes sense in our unit to, to, to deploy and train to. So. Yeah, sounds awesome. We'll talk a little bit more about what you do in the biocontainment unit first, but I think our biocontainment unit, what it opened in about 2004-ish, is that about right? 2005, March 7th, close. 2005. You were really close. It started, planning started in 2004. And if you didn't know, Cheryl Rand, who's still on our biocontainment team now, was actually on the planning committee back then in 2004. So um, yeah, that's it, kind of cool. Just a little fact. And then Kate joined, Kate joined in 2005. So how did you end up getting pulled from the OR to uh, be full-time over at the NBU? And I assume it's not, it didn't sound like you were full-time initially, maybe. So um, casual, you know, our biocontainment is, is staffed with casual staff. So we all have real, what we call our real jobs. And then our biocontainment job is our fun job um, for most of our teams. So they come from all different areas of the hospital. Uh, and they sign up as a volunteer position to be a member of the biocontainment team. And that's what I initially did back in 2009. So I would occasionally attend training, um, which is kind of funny as now I make sure everybody attends training all the time uh, as you're shaking your head at me. And then, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we make sure that we're always ready for the next response and do some things, uh, uh, training and drills and exercises and collaboration, you know, with our public health partners in, in the city and at, at the state level. Uh, but back then it was, you know, I wanted to do something different. My husband 
um, was a member of the military, had just returned from, you know, his, his deployments. And it was like, I want to do something that challenges myself on the way that we think, you know, and, and give back. And, and so I joined the biocontainment team and was hooked ever since because it might run similar to an operating room with the collaborative, you know, networking of how the teams work and communicate and candid when they need to be, compassionate when they need to be, but uh, more candid than compassionate sometimes as we, as we deliver our care. And, and I was hooked ever since. So when the opportunity arose in 2019 for a full-time position in biocontainment, I visited with Kate and Angie and Shelly at the time, and it made sense to, you know, what we would say, come back home um, and really lead a, a group of individuals, uh, you know, within that team sport to, to be ready for the next pandemic, you know, or the next outbreak. And here we are two years post-COVID, or I guess currently COVID. I think we're still currently COVID. Fine. All right, Sarah. Currently as much COVID. as I don't want to admit it, it's still hanging out. <laughs> it's a Debbie Downer today. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> so wait, I have a question for Rick then, since we're talking a little bit about COVID. So you're getting ready to get on a plane and the mask mandates for public tra transportation have just been dropped. Will you still wear a mask on a plane? I will. I, I was very unhappy that that actually happened. Uh, I'm more actually worried about the airport itself than I am the airplane because there's a fair amount of air exchanges in the airplane and I'll be sitting next to my wife so that like contact wise will be close together but I'm more worried about waiting in lines at like check-in and and uh, security and then customs and immigration and such those are those are the places that bother me more than actually the plane yeah I think that sounds reasonable and nobody says that you can't and I think I wish people would stress that more right like I think you would agree sir and I don't want to put words in your mouth but and anybody can wear a mask anywhere as long as they feel comfortable doing so. Nobody should poke fun at anybody for doing so, or you know, vice versa. Where where it makes where it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I still tend to wear a mask if I go like shopping in a heavily populated area. <laughs> I do have to admit that I did get my fourth shot before going, since I knew I was going, and I mm -hmm. am of age that I am eligible for said shot. So. Wow. Uh-oh. I thought you, you were still in your 30s. You haven't grown any third eyeballs or <laughs> anything like that, right? I am still in my 30s, by the way. I knew I, it. I, I just knew you it. were. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm pretty sure that said over some other age that we're not going to get into. I just assumed you were in your 30s. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, working in the biocontainment unit, uh, a large portion of what you guys do most of the time is mm -hmm. preparedness and education and the safety stuff that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So you guys have developed many things that other institutions are using uh, either on our own or in conjunction with other places. So mm -hmm. obviously education is something that you must be interested in and, and see as very important. Can yeah, you I on that a little bit. Yeah. So what does an education training, certain things of our training program are required, right? So, you know, our, our team has to do quarterly training, uh, you know, four times a year, they come in for a two hour session, and then we offer um, training and education sessions outside of that for two hours. And so those training and education uh, sessions are really set up that we talk about infectious diseases are out there. So this year we've been picking on um, or highlighting, you know, I think next quarter is viral hemorrhagic. Before that, it was anthrax. Uh, Dr. Ted Cislack gave a presentation on anthrax. Um, prior to that was all the horrors at Thanksgiving dinner, which was all your foodborne illnesses. And that is always one that we like to offer in December and in, in November as people get ready to go home for those massive buffet styles. And, you know, how are you going to pick up all of your foodborne illnesses really quickly from Grandma's canned yams, I think, is one of the examples that Ted used, uh, Dr. C-Sex used when, during that talk. And to be honest, I, I don't remember what the first quarter was, but I, I'll think about it while we're on this call. Um, resiliency is part of our training. And I think, you know, that has been very useful for our team to really have an embedded resiliency training program, uh, obviously pre-COVID 
where, you know, our partner, Dr. David Cates comes in and talks to us about healthy thinking and being mindful and relaxation techniques and overall awareness of, you know, where our, our brains are at and how we can partner with just uh, with our fellow team members, you know, for battle buddies to check in and make sure our team members are doing okay with the stress of COVID response, you know, going on two plus years. Um, so that's also embedded in our quarterly training. And then we always try to do team building. You know, we are a unique group. We have uh, team members that are respiratory therapists, that are care techs from the emergency room, from labor and delivery, from med surge, CVICU, ICU, um, infusion centers, pediatrics, I, and I'm missing some, and neuro ICU, um, all of these different departments. And so how do you bring that eclectic group of team members together and have meaningful relationships of which they feel like they can um, you know, deliver high level care where we do various team activities. So last, last quarter, I think it was uh, trivia on dogs. Like what's the most, uh, what, what is the most uh, violent dog? And it's not your, you know, bully breeds. It's actually a chihuahua, I believe, um, based off of that, I know. <laughs> so we had, you know, fun, ridiculous trivia. Uh, we, you know, we send people occasionally if they win the trivia, you know, Starbucks gift cards for the local Starbucks here. So really try to get creative on how we engage with our team members. And hopefully in next quarter, uh, quarter one of, of fiscal year 23, we're going to go back to in-person of which we can do some of those, uh, you know, in-person team buildings, as long as it's safe and we're maintaining all of the, the COVID considerations as we look at, at going through, um, you know, as we look at bringing our team back together. It's been two years. I think it's, I think we, it would be really, really awesome just to get everybody in, in, in a space and, and be able to have some of those outings. Yeah, I think, so I think that, that if if any group is going to get together safely, it will be this one, right? <laughs> well, Sarah, you don't know we, as Dr. Starlin may know, we take the rules and we apply them in creative scenarios of which we can get together. So last March, uh, March of twenty one, um, you know, we weren't allowed to gather indoors, and so we came up with the Pangolin five k. It was an NBU outing for our, our team and members of the Global Center for Health Securities team, of which we decided we were going to run a 5K, um, but of which that we didn't necessarily run a 5K. We walked to establishments that may be around our hospital that have outdoor patios and uh, participate in just walking a 31 uh, K 3.1 mile or 3.1 kilometer distance uh, from the local establishments around the hospital. So we could get a glass of water at one establishment, walk to the next one or whatever soda, maybe two. There was that? lots of water drink. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, lots of water <laughs> drink, <laughs> right? That's all that anybody can prove is that we had water. So uh, yeah, but we use the, you know, we took the we were trying to think creatively of how do we get our team around each other, um, being that we had been responding to the pandemic now for over a year and just rewarding their efforts in a fun manner of which we were, we were being socially responsible, but also, you know, responsible to our own trade that we, we participate in every day. So it's kind of fun. And I think that team building is super important for what you guys do, right? Because I mean, I don't think people realize what it's like to try to take care of somebody in a biocontainment unit with a highly infectious and dangerous uh, infection pathogen, whatever word you want to use. Right. And so everybody has to be comfortable with everybody else, right? I mean, you can't have, uh, you know, somebody who you like, I don't like that person. I don't want to help that person. I don't want to work with that person. Right. Because the downstream effects could be really detrimental to, you know, that team member if we're unwilling to call each other out. So we do try to think creatively how um, people will, you know, it, it relate and interact with, with candidly. And it comes through training, you know, so when you guys sign up for your quarterly training and we're going to don and doff PPEs, we try to, we try to make sure everybody's aware of who everybody is and what their role is within that team. So we can form those relationships, at least at the high level, um, and then really get down and dirty, you know, when we get to go back to in-person, you know, as to understanding what everybody's skill set is and how they, what their roles are within the team. So it's kind of fun. Actually, I think it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. 
Do you have any need for a dental professional on the team? (laughs) I'll never say never, right? Like we, we have expanded immensely uh, over the last couple of years. Um, You know, typically our team is our physicians, you know, our our nurses, um, our respiratory therapists and our um, certified nursing assistants. And, you know, we're looking at adding uh, paramedics now that they're, you know, in the hospital and being utilized. So a different level. Um, a different member of the team that we could go to. And so Sarah, I will keep your name written once I figure, once I figure out what that looks like, but I would never say never, you know, there's always going to be situations of which we, we dabble in everybody's uh, expertise as we, as we kind of go forward. So. One of the things that you guys have been kind of championing and pioneering is uh, donning and doffing partners for Mm -hmm. PPE. So can you tell us kind of what that is and why you guys feel that that's so important? Right. So when we come together and we don and doff our personal protective equipment, we have a couple of ensembles that we use. We call it high-level PPE or PAPR-level PPE, and they require a series of steps to be done in a certain order. Um, If somebody's not monitoring how people are putting on their personal protective equipment, taking it off can actually get more complicated because it doesn't follow... um, you know, your greatest risk of exposure to your least risk of exposure. So your respiratory uh, protection is always one of the last things that we take off. And if you take that off first, because you didn't uh, by chance put the hood on appropriately or, or something of that nature, um, it, it, you know, it can put you at greater risk. So we really do value the role of our donning and doffing partners of which there are checklists that are written out by hand you're like, seriously, by hand? Absolutely, by hand. <laughs> they're always in what we call draft form, you know, because there may be, uh, maybe there's a backlog of a personal, uh, a piece of the equipment that we have to then modify, uh, you know, and so we don't use really highly laminated, polished <laughs> uh, pieces of donning and doffing uh, orders. It's, it's written out by our team in, you know, by hand, so it means something to them. So that role, that partner is really what needs to be done next, how can I keep you safe? How can I keep the team safe? And how can I keep myself safe? So they are always spot on watching interactions between uh, team members, making sure um, that, that we're following the correct order. And if, if we're not following the correct order, feeling confident to say, stop, can we reevaluate where we're at? Um, and can we identify what the appropriate next steps are, which is, it does really require uh, a, a different level of comfort within our team, but also keeps us super safe, you know, as we're providing care. Yeah. So as healthcare providers, we all use PPE every day and it's so mm-hmm. important in our jobs and our safety. Um, would you have any advice for maybe some of the providers that would listen to this show just generally on the importance of training with your PPE and not just assuming that you know? Right. Uh, (laughs) You know, we've gotten creative on using GlowGerm and you can buy it off of, I think, you know, various sites. And we don't always tell our team when we're going to use GlowGerm, but it's a very recognizable way when you turn on a black light and see all the ways you potentially could contaminate yourselves on recognizing the importance of doing proper hand hygiene or, um, you know, properly removing your gloves, you know, and, and, and like glove and glove technique is, is something that we, we train to here. Um, but it's, it's I, taking those opportunities to not show your failures, but show your opportunities of, hey, how can we make this process better? What are our, what are our steps that we can identify to make donning and doffing personal protective equipment better? Or, you know, proper hand hygiene is probably one of the most overlooked uh, methods to keep your team safe. And by proper hand hygiene, it's following, you know, recommendations that are out there by the who, you know, as to all the steps for proper hand hygiene and jazz hands are nowhere written in there. Meaning that you, you put your hand sanitizer on and you're out doing this or this, as you let it dry, like that, that has been left out of, of the who's recommendations. And probably one of the one things that you could do to, to keep your team safe, you know, to the next level is, do the proper hand hygiene, you know, all of the, 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 the steps are, are valid and there's a reason for them. So managing that even for the, the 45 seconds on the long end that it may take to do proper hand hygiene um, is well worth it. Great advice. Thank you. Not, not a problem. <laughs> so um, if we can, let's step back a few years. So it's, I think fall of 2014 and 
the team gets a call that there's a U.S. I think it was a physician that was over in West Africa um, and has contracted Ebola mm-hmm. and is getting flown back to the United States and coming to UNMC. So mm-hmm. all this time you've been training for years for something like this. So mm-hmm. what's going on through your head at that moment? So we knew something was up because we kept having uh, meetings every two weeks. Hey, did you guys hear that there is an outbreak of Ebola in West Africa? And we're like, yeah, you told us that last week. You know, and they would keep scheduling these meetings to kind of keep it in the forefront of our head. Um, and then Kate sent out like an email to, uh, you know, part of the team and said, hey, can you come up and ready the unit? We have a visitor that's going to to be up in the unit to, to check on readiness status. And we were like, all right, that's okay. Uh, and so, you know, we came up, we got the unit ready. Um, and it was later that afternoon after we left that we got the initial page, you know, and, and at the time, most of us carried pagers still. And so you knew that number as it scrolled across that you're like, what? Well, all right. What's that about? You know, it, it, uh, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was talking to my neighbor at the fence line. I just came home from the hospital when that page came back and I said, oh my gosh, I have to go. Um, and I came in and, you know, we set up the unit, we were ready to go. But that night, uh, we were just talking about this today, actually, with uh, Kate and Cheryl, two members of the team. Um, and, you know, that night you, you're you're not sleeping a lick. You know, you're up going, I don't know if I paid attention enough during PPE training. I'm unsure if I'm smart enough to do what's going to be asked of me the next day. Uh, you know, are we ready? Uh, and it was it was very cool to watch the team come together because, again, you can drain and trail drip. Oh my gosh, train and drill as much as possible. Um, but nothing gives you that that kind of adrenaline rush as, as being called in that first day, you know, to, to care for somebody who has, uh, you know, a, a Ebola virus disease at the time and uh, watching our team come together. And we're still all tight, even though some of us have moved on. You know, anytime you get a chance to see each other, it, it's it's just such a unique relationship uh, from the team members. It was It was awesome to watch awesome to watch that team come together and, and, and perform those tasks that we did. I, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, what sort of experience did you have then with the COVID initial COVID call when that came in? So when we activated, uh, you know, camp Ashland, uh, to care for, you know, the repatriates that was, it was, it, it, we opened the building, you know, just a couple of months prior and we hadn't really had, had time to train our team, but it was the same thing. Like, you know, the communication that we had from a leadership team and the candid communication that we had with our team itself on, on what it's going to look like and what we should be ready for. It's super cool to watch everybody come together and identify what their roles are in making this is successful. And no idea is a bad idea. And we always talk about that. Bring what your ideas are forward. Um, and so when we activated the quarantine unit uh, for the Diamond Princess, everybody had a role to play and you just slide right in and, and do your tasks that are at hand. And, you know, we started conserving PPE right away, um, coming up with different methods of what PPE conservation would look like, uh, you know, writing it out on the board. We designed workflows that we thought were great. And it's a team sports. It's all we, you know, like uh, there's such a a unique team collaboration. I, I, you know, it's hard to sometimes articulate just the awesomeness of everybody walks in and, and you just slide into what your role is, you know, within that team and, and everybody, there's no task too great. I mean, our physicians, you know, can help us stock PPE or come up with ideas, no different than the, the, the nurses or the care techs, or the respiratory therapists, everybody knows, everybody trains to everybody's task. And I think that's something that's unique to the biocontainment unit. Um, so Dr. Starlin knows as much about running autoclave as I do, which is as much as the, you know, the care techs do. And, and so everybody knows everything. You may not be an expert, but you, you are aware and you can help and you can watch people do their tasks, you know, and make sure that we're all, we're all super safe. So um, the COVID response and, and caring for the diamond uh, princess individuals was really kind of a, a unique experience for our team and with a novel pathogen that we weren't very familiar with. And, and we learned a lot. We learned a lot about our team's resiliency during that and, and areas that we need to continue to work upon, like the discrepancies in PPE that we wear for isolation and quarantine versus what we wear for the unit is still something that we're you know, trying to devise what education looks like for those situations. And, um, you know, we've got a, a whole team of, you know, that of individuals that are willing to come to the table and go, well, this is what we think we should do. And we try it. And if we don't like it, we go back and say, okay, let's try something else. So I, I'm thankful to be 
kind of included in that in that team that team sport that we have going on it's kind of fun yeah it's so cool to be you know at the forefront of the first people in the united states to see this and take mm-hmm. care of this and learn about it i mean the the amount of information that was able to come out of the first patients at the uh, quarantine center was just amazing. Right. Right. And, you know, we deploy our teams and I think, you know, this, sir, is then our team deploys to the hospital side and they can help devise processes. You know, once containment was no longer biocontainment, you know, we shut down the unit and uh, we exceeded the unit capacity. So they, you know, created a COVID unit in itself. Our team was there to partner with leadership on that floor you know, the hospital leadership partnered with hospital leadership on designing processes in, a, in an unfamiliar space. And, and you know, our physicians uh, partner with other physicians on how to properly don and off their PAPRs if they're wearing them and their N95s. And, and that's what we kind of expect is, is that, you know, you take the knowledge that you have and spread it to others to help ready them um, in the care delivery model and early, you know, as the early COVID response was being carried out. Yeah, I mean, I think you learned um, early on about how this spreads and how far it went. And so uh, uh, UNMC, Nebraska Medicine was early on was made a big point of looking at ventilation, right? Because Mm -hmm. of the stuff that you guys were able to do and learn from the patients in the quarantine center. Yeah, yeah. Kind of fun. Yeah, it is really cool. It is really cool. It is really cool. So. Yeah, so. I hear a lot with COVID-19, it being a novel pathogen, you know, we're building the plane while it's in the air, right? (laughs) Trying to figure things out on the go. Mm -hmm. What did that look like on the ground during those first weeks? So uniquely for biocontainment, I think, you know, overall, as we learned, or as our physicians learned, they they were not hesitant on educating our team. And so our team learned kind of in conjunction with what the physicians were learning and what our, you know, experts in the field were learning as, as we looked at COVID. And so there was always this information sharing that occurred, you know, daily, a couple of times a day. Um, you know, you could ask any questions, you could disseminate information that was being shared to them, you know, to other team members, because, uh, you know, not always, you know, we ask our team members anytime that we are activated to please not watch the news. And it's not because we don't like the news um, and we can only request that they not ask them to watch the news, but there's such a hodgepodge of information being passed along. We want them to focus on what is being told to them while they're caring for individuals in you know the units that we have. And so that has, that has been something that I'm extremely grateful for. And I think the team is extremely grateful for is just the transparency of information. So I understand your concept of building a plane in the air and we were building our textbook on the ground, you know, as they're building the plane in the air is what do we know for sure? What are we unsure about? And what are the next questions that potentially could be answered? And and as a team, we, uh, in a leadership team, we were always present at our daily huddles in the morning and the afternoon of which we could share information and make sure that the team was getting the same information consistently. consistently. Um, and, you know, it didn't have to necessarily come from me specifically, Dr. Starling could have been in there, Dr. Mike Wadman, Dr. Lawler, you know, uh, various individuals, our nurse leadership, Shelly and Angie and Kate and uh, Shanaz and Cheryl, anybody could share that information as long as it was the consistent message being given to the team. And so our teams had questions. We didn't always have the answers as we were walking this path, but we would find resources that maybe could provide light and reassurance into the processes that we currently had. And so now nationwide, there's a network uh, that kind of provides this training and education and and resource centers for uh, for places that aren't like close to Nebraska, not everybody's close to Nebraska, right? So, <laughs> right. So, um, and NETEC has been, uh, been, a, mm-hmm. uh, been developed in a, a collaboration of multiple institutions across mm-hmm. the country to, to continue doing what largely started with uh, University of Nebraska. Yeah, I think that it started with, if, I, if I'm right, it's Emory, uh, University of Nebraska, Bellevue. and Bellevue, New York. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that has expanded. And NETIC is a great resource. Any um, institution or physician that needs resources, you could just Google NETIC, and they've got uh, webinars and infographics and you know uh, templates on how to exercise and train. 
that could be useful as you develop what training looks like for your own team. Uh, you know, we have our own unique model here that may not work for every team, but Neetech is a great Neetech is a great starting point to identify. Um, you know, what does that look like? What are some suggestions and ideas? What does PPE? You don't actually have to develop even your own education for your team. You can refer them to um, a PowerPoint presentation or a podcast or, or um, a webinar that Neetech has on there, and that can provide the basis of information for the team, and the team can set back and identify, you know, what they have next, um, what they want to do as next step. So it's a great resource to start, uh, you know, using uh, some of those online platforms to to develop team training and team education. That's awesome. For all of our listeners out there, I will drop the link to Neetech's website into the show notes for everybody if you want to check it out. Yeah, it's the, the don't be overwhelmed. The site is awesome. There's an unbelievable amount of resources on there. So be patient with your shirt, your search on there because it's it's pretty deep in the pockets of, of the information that they could provide there. So. Yeah, there's so many resources on the NeTech website. Mm -hmm. What things are uh, you guys following now in the world that could uh, potentially uh, spring up and uh, uh, lead to patients occupying beds in the biocontainment unit somewhere? Now, how come you're putting that question on me, sir? You know just as much as I do if you're reading these six-line emails that are sent back and forth. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to give our guests a chance to talk. Oh, I, I, you know, there's, uh, so there's, a, let's see, Crimean Congo, uh, you know, that was in the UK recently, there is Lhasa that, you know, is also out, Lhasa fever that is also out there as well. Um, I think next quarter, we're trying to do education actually for our team on Crimean Congo. I'm not giving it away, but I might hit you up to see if you want to present on that. Um, for your next podcast, maybe, but oh, uh, I know, but loss of fever is also out, you know, uh, has been out there. We've developed, you know, information on long COVID, which I know we're talking about COVID and we're two years into this, but there's information that, you know, should be shared about what are, what is long COVID? What are the effects of long COVID? Um, those are all information things that we, we send out to the team. But I, I think more recently or recently enough, it, it is, oh, the avian flu, you know, that, that is uh, out there as well. I'm, kind of sporadic on my, my, um, what is up in the news lately, but so, all right, avian flu, Crimean Congo, Lhasa, um, NEPA was recently, you know, back, um, sparring its, its, its head in India and, uh, Bangladesh. Uh, all right. Is this a test and how'd I pass? Yeah, I know you did great. I mean, and I think the, the point is, is that there was Lhasa was in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So they had cases in the UK. And so we tend to think in a, I think in a 20th century sense, we think that those, those diseases are not where we are. Right. But in the 21st century, I think we've shown over and over and over again that any disease can present almost anywhere. Agreed. And that's where that identify, isolate, and inform comes in. So critical at you know, clinics and in emergency rooms and at travel destinations as well. You know, as you're, as you're coming, returning from international travel, how do we identify people that that may, you know, not know that they're ill, but actually be ill, um, you know, with one of those, one of, with one of those unknown pathogens. So, or known and unknown pathogens, I guess. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you just have to ask questions, right? You have yeah. a fever, you have some <laughs> syndrome and have you left wherever you're from? Right. And then, then you should, uh, if you don't know what to do, the best thing to do is to isolate the person and call somebody that does, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, uh, being able to recognize that you that something's off, I think, is is critical. And so, you know, we spent some time recently training teams, especially you know, reinvigorating identify, isolate, inform, because no longer is it just COVID. You know, the we can travel now. Travel's been you know opened up across for the last couple of months, and so we are seeing some of those situations of which you, your communicable diseases are traveling, um, you know, back back and forth and hitting countries that they aren't. <laughs> endemic too. So, you know, uh, what, are, what are you going to do in that situation? Yeah, it's become pretty obvious over the last two years that we are a, a global population, right? It's things can mm -hmm. spread so quickly without us even knowing. No, agreed. And how do you always keep yourself ready? Exactly. Exactly. I remember when we were first seeing reports out of China, um, I was just finishing my master's degree. And so like I was super into it and mm -hmm. I was dating this guy at the time and he was like 
it's just going to fade out. It's never going to get here. And I'm like, it's already here. It's already here. <laughs> you just don't know it. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. 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 And then about six weeks later, he was like, I guess you're right. <laughs> I think the hardest part with all of this is um, I think people like us and maybe our listeners are keen on staying uh, up to date and training and everything else, but we have to keep the rest of the public and our uh, elected officials aware that we have to continue this and fund these things so that when something happens, which is going to happen again, that we can be prepared. No, I would agree. We just had this conversation, I think, in the hallway, hallway conversations, you know, just like water cooler conversations. You solve most of the world's problems that way, right? Exactly. Exactly. Is, is how do we keep what we're doing on the forefront of everybody's mind? And how do we combat complacency right now? It, you know, it's, tire, it's tiresome. We've been in this for a minute, you know, and it's, it's a long 900 plus days that we've been actively responded um, to, to COVID. And what does that look like from a continued readiness response? And part of that is just continuing to have the conversation as what does what does it look like it's no longer the hundred year flu, it could be, you know, as we've seen we're getting more of these outbreaks, uh, you know, uh, worldwide on smaller scales but how quickly can it spread if it if it's given the right vector and, and, and where are we at from that so. yeah. Yeah, I training think the, the, the global travel airplanes. Yeah. You can get to the other side of the globe in 12 hours. Right, Rick? Right? Yeah. Oh, awesome. or, or in the Caribbean in about four. Okay, that's it. That is it. Sarah, we're going. Tomorrow, we're going to just show up at the airport and, and travel with uh, yeah. uh, Dr. Starlin and family to, to, the, to the Caribbean. That'd be, I, that'd be I'm awesome. totally up for that. My kids will be fine. It'll be, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep you can treat them like the cat the cat i don't know if you have cats but just overflow cats. The, o- overflow the food bowl and they'll be they're okay for a uh, while yep. just yeah it'll be i usually tell people to just throw cheerios around and they'll they'll find them and eat there them you and go then, <laughs> and then as long as they have something to drink too they'll be they'll be fine for a few days yeah. see there you go there you go no <laughs> yeah my kids <laughs> won't dry up and blow away that quickly they're pretty well fed to begin with <laughs> there you go no that is awesome so, so what what's are you next at? for morgan what do you what? What, uh, what's next for you or the nbu or anything like that where are you guys you're talking about the kind of the future let's say covid is kind of what it is it becomes endemic we have to live with it we're kind right. of moving that direction as is now right you know we're it's always looking for the next uh readiness and exercise so we had to pause some of our exercises during COVID response because we wanted to be mindful of the gathering restrictions and you know the considerations to don and off your PPE especially when removing part of your respiratory protection is part of that process and so we've had to augment some of our training um, you know to keep our personal protective equipment on especially our respiratory protection so really getting back on uh, in-person training to reinvigorate going back to training courses that we offer here you know, on site so we can look at, uh, you know, helping other teams um, for infectious disease training of various, whether that be NDMS training or some courses that we have coming up for CSTARS, partnering with Dr. Schnabelt and her team on, on the CSTARS courses. So looking for opportunities like that, of which our, you know, our team can get back into, into partnering with other organizations on their readiness and response. So it is, it, it will be a lot of fun, I think. Um, hopefully in the next six months to get people back and, and to hopefully gather safely, of which we can go back and do some of that education and training. I know I but lost in, my mask a time or two in the in the in my uh, <laughs> in my in my paper or my or my gown or something. I'm like, oh, where'd that go? <laughs> I know exactly. And so you know, we if somebody's watching, we got to make sure that we're like, oh my gosh, let me get that back on really quick because we don't want to we don't want to be squashed right away from doing some of those those training. So. Yeah, that's been, that's been, you know, interesting on, on, we are keeping our masks on, don't, does nobody worry about us, uh, but we just, you know, have to speak to what are the proper methods to donning that, you know, doffing that respiratory protection. So it's kind of fun. I'm ready. I'm really ready. And I think our team is really ready to come back together. You know, I know we do events like the, you know, the Pangolin 5k or the, what was it this year? The Pox trot. 
5k but they they do ask about when's the next in-person gathering or when's the next in-person team training and so trying to figure out what that looks like for us is i think is critical to the next steps so you said ndms what does that stand for um national national disaster medical systems of course sarah you know acronyms <laughs> are not my like favorite thing in the entire world. Um, but we've got a really good team that, that does some of that training. I've got a, I'm going to cheat here really quick and I'll tell you what it means. Um, but that training has, you know, had to be put on pause and rightfully so these guys are responding to real world events. Um, but it's just one training course that's offered here, um, at Nebraska and, uh, you know, it, it's a good program. I think, I think it is. Let's see. Oh my. No, I don't know. We'll figure out what it means. National Disaster Medical System. See, there you go. You Thank you, right. sir. I know. You put me on the spot. I'm the world's worst acronym person ever. I'm always like, so anybody want to tell me what those words are? <laughs> like any words? Anybody? I, I would fail in the military. I, you need your lots of letters in the alphabet form. And I'm like, words, please words adult words maybe use your words use your words friends so yeah we're excited to hopefully be able to kick those things off i think there's other programs that are willing to partner with um unmc and nebraska medical center and the global center for health securities uh it'll be exciting to get it back into in-person training readiness you know is is part of the game well we are getting close to the top of the hour do you have any questions for us we like to give know. you the opportunity to pick on Rick. Right? I think I should pick on Rick. He's got me. He's got you me. You picked on me the... on the walk. I, I'm pretty sure you picked on me on the walk. Well, yes, because you tried to run the 5K. Nowhere in the documents did it say we were actually going to run the 5K, sir. Well, I know, but we were, we were just running up a hill. It was kind of cold. And then you decided to throw sticks at people, which was not part of the safety culture. I didn't throw them at people. I pulled it over the front, over the, <laughs> over the sidewalk. I have pictures. Excuses. I have, Sarah, don't worry. I have pictures if you ever need them. I do have pictures of that. It uh, sounds like you and I are going to be great friends, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So Dr. Starlin, what are your thoughts on, on where we are from an NBU team? I mean, you know, you, I do hound you on occasion to make sure you're compliant with your quarterly PPE training requirement. I try to be a good citizen and get over there. I've already done this quarter. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's great. I think it's a great team. Um, I, I do think that it's a, it's a unique team, a unique setting, as you said, um, and learning everybody else's job, even if you're not going to do that, I think is helpful because you know what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it keeps the machine rolling along. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you said that I know as much about the uh, 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 autoclave. Autoclave. Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Your moment there as, as you do, <laughs> which I think is far from the truth, but I have seen it used. I know kind of the concepts. And if I had somebody there telling me kind of, oh yeah, you gotta do that. I mean, oh yeah, okay. I've, I've yeah. seen this, I've done this. And so I think all of that training and all that comes in when, you know, a lot of times, you know, after we've done COVID for a while, you know, it's COVID, we, we know COVID. But at right. the beginning, we don't remember how stressed we were about getting these people and not knowing, are we at risk? Or, you know, can we bring this home? people were taking off their clothes in their house. They were wiping off their groceries and their fruit and vegetables. I mean, it was, we didn't know. And those right. are things that you guys are going to take care of. Yeah. And so I think ha the, the main message here is that you have to train and you have to be a team. And I think that's the most important things about this um, that I think people can take home from this. And if you don't do either of those things, I think you're not going to be successful. I would, uh, yeah, I would agree with you. We, we've got a, I think our, the uniqueness is our team is what makes us awesome, in my opinion. I mean, I think our team is amazing, but we have such an eclectic group um, that they keep it real and they, they keep you hopping and, and that makes it good, you know, and, and finding that art where you can direct teams uh, to, to make sure that they're 
following the the best IPC practices without being a jack wagon about it is you know something that we try to train to. So how do I how do I tell somebody they just met, hey sir, that's not right, in a, in the most kind but confident and you know and directive manner as possible is always something that we're we're trying to get better at you know as as we walk forward. So yeah, you had no problems jumping right in and making fun of me. So you're, I guess I'm part of the team. So it's all good. <laughs> You are part of the team, but you'll get me back. Don't you worry. You'll find, you'll find opportunities of which I'm like, I'm not being successful And you. I promise, sir, you will get me back. You will get me back. You have to be able to dish it out and take it. Right. That's a rule. You can't dish what yep. you can't take. That's right. You know, so yeah. The, yeah, I'm you have not to sure be able to laugh it. at yourself a little bit too, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or we have senior moments as trainers, like, I, I, you know, and, and you're trying to lead a team and they're like, you're actually training today. And I'm like, I'm trying, you know, and, and having, <laughs> having that realization that I make mistakes every day and I expect my team to call me out for it just as much as anybody. I'm not foolproof. That would be the first flaw if I ever said I was, then <laughs> you know, she needs to be admitted for an evaluation of having a stroke because we know that that's not the <laughs> we know that that's not it so well I think that's one of the best qualities of an educator is that they can you know admit they don't know everything right but that's why you asked me what NDMS is and I'm like oh like, it's totally okay. I, I don't know so I I just had that happen this week when I was teaching it a course on jurisprudence for dental professionals. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that so, go over? Oh, I, I told them I would have to get back to them on this one, <laughs> this one thing. I had it wrong in my PowerPoint, but it happens. It happens. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Morgan. It was a great, great time. We'll have to do it again. Hopefully uh, it's not in the midst of another pandemic, but uh, with the rate we've been going, it certainly could be. Hey, we'll be ready, sir. You know, we'll I, just have I to dust off our dust off our stuff and we'll be ready to rock it out. You just tell us what our next assignment is. So. Awesome. Thanks so much awesome. for joining us, Morgan. It was great to chat with you. Good to, good to meet you, Sarah. And I'll see Dr. Starlin in a couple of weeks at PPE training. Mm-hmm. All right. And for all of our listeners out there, join us in the conversation on Twitter at dirty underscore drinks. We've already had a couple of messages come in on future topics, so we are excited to make those happen. So if you have ideas, make sure to let us know, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at dirty underscore drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of dirty drinks.